invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to 1 Kings chapter number 16. <clears throat> While you are turning there, a note that we begin today a new series in which we will look at faith in faithless times by studying the lives of Ahab and Elijah. So we'll be spending the next few weeks in 1 Kings so and 2 Kings. So I'd encourage you all to study up and read ahead as we look at this fascinating prophet and this absolutely horrendous king. 1 Kings 16 is where we start today though. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are the God who speaks. And sometimes, Lord, we confess that in all of our worry, in all of our action, in all of our frantic pace, we do not hear your voice. But if there is one thing clear from the life of Elijah, it is that you still speak. So speak to us now, Lord, that we may hear from you. We may be able to be faithful in faithless times. And we may run the race that you have set before us with endurance. That we may endure to the end. Bless me, Lord, with the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Dickens, at the beginning of his great novel, A Tale of Two Cities, declared it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And when we enter our text today for the northern kingdom, it was the worst of times, and it had been for some time. Let's go back in history for a moment and remember how the northern kingdom came into existence. Jeroboam led the ten tribes that would compose the northern kingdom to rise up and to forsake Rehoboam's rash tyranny only to subject the northern kingdom to spiritual tyranny out of fear of his losing his throne. He thought that if he allowed his subjects to go to the southern kingdom to worship in Jerusalem at the temple, that they may be aroused to come back to the northern kingdom and overthrow him. And so he set up two temples each with a golden calf to worship. He wanted to protect his throne and so he used idolatry to create a spiritual tyranny that underlined the ultimate destruction of the northern kingdom. 
It would be nice if history taught us that the kings that followed Jeroboam were better. But what we find is that each successive king grew worse until we arrive to Ahab. 58 years after the split of the northern and southern kingdom, the seventh of the kings, seven a symbolic number in the scriptures, a number that uh, means rest, a number that means jubilee, and yet for the children of the northern kingdom, there is no rest. There is only the worst to come. Notice with me, verses 29 and 30. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. What a tragic, tragic note of history. To know that you're the one that did worse than everybody else. I mean, don't we always want to do better than everybody else? And yet here he says, this one was worse. But the next verse tells us something else. Notice verse 31, 32. And as if it had been a light thing for him. I love the way that reads. It would have been bad enough if he had just been a little bit worse. It would have been bad enough if he had just continued the policies of all of his predecessors. But he goes a step further. And as if it would, as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. It didn't, it didn't, he didn't content himself with just creating and furthering what we would refer to uh, in religious studies as a new religious movement with the bow worship because it tasted like chicken. It wasn't chicken. It just tasted like it with the, the golden calves. There, there had been a time when they had worshipped golden calves. God had overthrown that though of Sinai, but still it tasted enough like it that he might could have got away with it. But no, he, he went further and he institutes bow worship. He creates a temple. He builds an altar. He, he builds an Asherah pole. He takes the people from, from just a, a little bit of, of off from center, maybe not a little bit, a lot off of center, from what is true religion. And then he goes down a whole other path entirely. Beloved, the first thing we need to remember about Ahab is that we should always be careful when folks push the boundaries of faith beyond what God has said. 
beyond what God has done. When they push the boundaries of faith for their own purposes instead of God's purposes. I have no doubt, the scripture doesn't say this, but I have no doubt that the reason why Ahab goes and marries Jezebel is because he wants to continue to strengthen his rule. That is why they did that back then. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a political alliance. I don't know. But this leader pushes the people further from God. And it would be nice if he had just stuck there. But notice verse 34. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sagum, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. One writer refers to this as the re-canonization of the northern kingdom. In other words, they have completely undone what God did when he brought them out of the children of, out of the, the uh, wilderness and placed them in the promised land. Joshua 6.26 was a clear word from God that if anyone ever rebuilt this first great victory of the destruction of Jericho, that God would bring them, would, God, they would give up their firstborn and their lastborn son. Now we don't know if God just killed these people. Some scholars believe that Hiel sacrificed both of his firstborn and his youngest son as he built, rebuilt Jericho. Regardless, regardless, his doing it is callous and there's a disregard for human life. But don't miss that Ahab allowed him to do it. How do I know Ahab would allow him to do it? Because Jericho's down on the border with the southern kingdom. He doesn't want to do anything that might provoke a war. He wants to maintain security. And so to go and do this, had to have Ahab's permission. Ahab then becomes complicit in the re-canonization of the northern kingdom. Beloved, let us not miss this warning. God does not take kindly to people attempting to unweave His work. It cost them these two boys it will bring about a famine of three, a drought of three and a half years. God does not take kindly to people attempting to unweave His work. We see it repeatedly throughout the lives of the prophets in the Old Testament as God continuously calls back the children of Israel to repentance, to the right way, to not undo the promises of the promised land. 
We see it in the fact that at the end of time, there will be one nation that survives, the nation of Israel. Because God made His promise. And He will continue that promise and He will work to that promise. And though the whole world may attempt to undo that, God will not allow it to happen. And beloved, don't think of it in some sense, global sense either. We remember it in a personal sense. That God works in us by grace that we can never lose our salvation. That we are eternally secure in God. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so He is continuously working to keep the fabric of our relationship with Him together. And He does not take kindly to someone attempting to unweave His tapestry. Now I started by saying... It was the best of times and the worst of times. Now I've given you the worst of times. And verse 17, I mean verse 1 of chapter 17, shows us the best of times coming. Because in the middle of all this great faithlessness, in the middle of all this destruction and this despair, God sends Elijah, the greatest of his prophets, even today, in a typical Jewish Passover meal, there is a seat left for Elijah. They open the door at one point so that Elijah can come in. The Jews regard Elijah as such a great prophet. And so God sends into the midst of a faithless times someone that we would all do well to model. Notice verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Beloved, this one verse tells us a few things about how you and I can not simply be faithful, but we can have audacious faith in the midst of a faithless generation. Number one, it shows us that we must have patience. Did you notice how it starts? Now. Now. Before, when he was building the altar to bow, God didn't sin. I mean, when Ahab was building it, God didn't send Elijah. When the Asherah was built, God didn't send Elijah. As the foundations and the walls of Jericho were being reestablished, God didn't send Elijah. Surely, I think that this probably displeased Elijah as he was hearing it, but God didn't send Elijah. As the gates were put on Jericho, God didn't send Elijah. But at some point thereafter, God sent Elijah. Elijah was patient. Beloved, how often is it in life that you are patient? You know, in our society today, I find that we are some of the most impatient people ever. And because we are so impatient, a couple of things happen. 
Number one, we get behind God. Because He's at work and we're not patient enough to join Him. But more often than not, we get ahead of God. And He is wanting to work, but it's not everything lined up yet. Remember, and all things work together for good. In other words, God's bringing everything together at the right time and the right place. And we must wait on His timing. How often is it that our rashness gets us in trouble? How often is it that if we could just be patient a little while longer, then we could go? You know what patience allows us to have? Perspective. You know, Elijah was a Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead. Now, I know that for, for, for us reading this, it would be like for me saying that that uh, uh, Brown from Browntown in Duplin. Most of y'all don't know where that is. So let me explain about a Tishbite of Tishbe. Tishbe was on the far eastern extreme of the northern kingdom. It was out in the hills. I mean, it was, it was way far away. It wasn't in the, the normal shrum of, scrum of Samaria where everything's happening all the time. The news doesn't happen fast out there in Tishbe. It takes a while for it to filter out. Elijah had time to hear about what was going on. Elijah had time to think about what was going on. Elijah had time to get perspective and get all the facts at one time to figure out what was fact and what was rumor. Beloved, how good is your perspective today? You know, very often it is the fact that we react more than we are patient and we get perspective. We get perspective from what it is that we see and we don't take any time to figure out all that there is to see. Beloved, how many news sources do you watch or take in? Most of us generally stick to one news source. Actually, most of the world today sticks to two news sources. The one they watch and whatever's on Facebook which they will share without determining whether or not the source is accurate. Beloved, we serve a big God and He intends for us to have a big perspective, which means He intends for us to ignite our brain and seek to discern and to look at the whole world and to look at the world through various other eyes than just a couple. You know, one of my news sources is the BBC. I love the BBC. The BBC tells me news elsewhere in the world. It reminds me that this is a world and not just America. It tells me that there are other people in other places and they have problems going on and maybe I need to know about it. I first heard of COVID-19 on the BBC long before 
I heard about it in the news here. Beloved, God wants us to have perspective because He wants us to have the right thing to say. He wants us to be able to do the right thing at the right time. So we have to have patience. We have to have perspective. And part of an essential part of the perspective we have to have is we have to know what God thinks about things. You know, before Elijah goes into the throne room of Ahab and starts declaring that there will be no rain, the scriptures tell us in James chapter 5 that he prayed. He communicated with God. He was a man, James 5.17 tells us, just like me and you. And he communicated with God and asked God, I think, God, what do you think about what Ahab is doing? God, what is it that, that you think I should do? Ultimately, it appears quite clear that, that God led him to Deuteronomy 11, 16 through 17, which says that when you go and pursue these idols, I'll bring no dew or no rain. And, Ahab, and Elijah began to pray. And he kept saying, What God? And God led him, I think, to this passage. And so Ahab, Elijah began to pray, God, just stop it. Just stop it according to your word. Beloved, let me be clear. The world does not need to know what you and I think these days. In a faithless time, the world needs to know what God thinks. And for us to be able to share what God thinks means that you and I first have to figure out what it is He thinks. We must consult Him. How many of us have asked God, God, what is it that you think about COVID-19? God, what is it that you think maybe about masks? You know, Eliza and I well, did a lot of driving over the last few days. Couldn't really go anywhere or see anything while on vacation. So we just drove a lot. And while we were driving, we could catch different radio stations, and I got to hear a lot of preaching. Some good, some not so good. I heard every spectrum of sermon, I think. I heard one sermon in which the preacher declared the current governor of North Carolina an idiot. I heard another sermon in which another preacher declared the President of the United States an idiot. Well, those seem to be two divergent thought processes. And do you know what I heard in each one? Somebody outside, not outside, but in their congregation, yelling amen. Well, beloved, how often is it that you and I stop and ask ourselves and ask God, God, what do you think about our government? God, what do you think about our president? God, how should what you think determine what I should pray? 
God, what do you think about this? Beloved, too often it is that you and I go off into a situation and we never think to ask God what He thinks. We're just more concerned with pressing our point about what we think. And so we fall flat on our faces. And death comes. When audacious faith is first asking God, God, tell me what I need to know from you. And then, beloved, going to do it. Elijah goes into the throne room and he says something. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Beloved, don't get lost in the the declaration of a drought. That's not the important part here. It's not the part about audacious faith we should take out of this. The audacious faith that we should take out of this is the simple fact that here, the first words out of Elijah's mouth are to declare to Ahab, the one who evidently had forgotten that God lives as the Lord the God of Israel lives. In other words, Ahab, he's not dead. The whole world, beloved, I think sometimes believes that God is dead. They believe it by their actions. They believe it in the fact that they don't have any hope. They believe it in the fact that they are filled with overwhelming despair. And that they don't think there will be any end, any possible end to their suffering. They just think God is dead. And our task, beloved, is after we have been patient and we have gained perspective and we have prayed and asked God what to do, is to go and boldly declare God lives. And not only that, to declare loudly and audaciously that there is hope. To declare loudly and audaciously that there is a bright future ahead. And in the midst of a time where people think that there is no love, to remind them that God loves them. Going back to the declarations of idiocy. Wouldn't it be more helpful if we just declared loudly over and over and over again, God loves this idiot. He loves all idiots. And we said that we are part of that crowd. To say we don't have all the answers that we know who does and he's still alive and point people to him and to declare his love. Declare that he still speaks.
There's 24-hour news. There is social media. There are all number of things that we go to. But the question is, how often is it that you and I go to God? In the last service, I asked folks to take a moment and add up how much time they spend watching news. Then add up how much time they spend on social media. Then add up how much time they spend on the telephone. And then on the other side of the column, add up how much time they spend talking to God and getting His perspective. I dare say, beloved, there's not an equal to there. There's a greater than sign. And God's on the losing end. If we want to bring faith to a faithless world, if we want to change the world in which we live in right now, then it better be the fact that the losing end should be all the other stuff. Because ultimately, beloved, if we don't get this right now, death is coming. Death is coming for someone, most assuredly. You know, when you're on, on vacation in the midst of COVID, you can't go places. Can't go out to eat. Can't, you know, do any of the normal things you do. So you go to the one place that you know there won't be people. Cemeteries. Eliza and I toured the the, the death locate not death locations, but burial locations of a lot of famous dead people. You know what the one certainty I saw was out there? We're going to die. The preacher, the Lord might return. He might. I don't know when that is. But I do know that if he does return, even right now, there will be countless millions all across the world who will go to hell and won't really care where I get my news source. Won't really care what I shared on Facebook. Won't really care about my perspective. They'll only care about whether or not someone told them that God lives and that he loves them. That's all it comes down to. You know, I turn on the news and I go, I ain't never seen anything like this. I read, I think to myself, I ain't never seen anything like this. I know that's not good English, but I am from Eastern North Carolina. I look at the times in which we live and I think to myself, even as a historian, and I know a lot of history, I ain't never seen anything like this. Wouldn't it be amazing though that if at this moment of I ain't never seen anything like this, 
the church of God actually got up, woke up, and did, and lived audaciously such that the world said, I ain't never seen anything like that. And because we are so hope-filled, because we are so love-filled, because we are so grace-filled, because we are so merciful, because our light shines in the midst of impenetrable darkness, that they come in joy. That's audacious faith. And that's what a faithless world needs. So, will you live audaciously? Let's pray. silence sometimes it is uncomfortable and so we avoid silence but Lord I'm going to pause right now in the midst of this prayer and I ask Lord that you speak to us in this silence speak to us about where our perspective is, where you speak to us about where our impatience is, that you speak to us, Lord, about our message and our actions and whether our actions are based off of what we've heard from you or what we've heard in the media. And now, Lord, wherever you have spoken to us, help us to see that you will enable us to do it. And that we have no fear. That we can walk boldly and audaciously now, just as Elijah did, by relying on you. For we make this prayer in Jesus' name. 